0: If I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could have boasted about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. One Corinthians chapter 13, verses three and four. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Our series is called Love God, Love People. It's a deeper dive into how to live out the great commandment found in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Last week, incoming senior pastor Brian Jones finished the first part of the great commandment, Love God. Today, founding senior pastor Perry Duggar begins Love People. Today's episode, Description of Love. Here's senior pastor Perry Duggar. Love is what we need, yes. I'm
1: continuing the series, Love God, Love People, which is our mission and our ministry here at Brookwood. Jesus was asked by a lawyer, what is the most important commandment? You can find Jesus' response at Mark chapter 12, at verse 29. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, the Shema. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself, which is our theme today. No other commandment is greater than these. Brian dealt with Four aspects of loving God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and with your strength. Today and next week, I will focus on loving others from 1 Corinthians 13, which is, of course, that passage that we're all familiar with that describes love. But Paul wrote that passage with a purpose. Every bit of the Bible was written with a specific purpose. Now, it applied specifically to one situation in a specific church, but it applies broadly to us even today because of the Spirit, but there are some adjustments. But Paul wrote to Corinth because this was a church that was practicing spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 1.7. They were a church that was largely following his teaching. Uh, there was some immorality, but they, it wasn't doctrinal. 1 Corinthians 11:2. 2. But he rebuked them because love was lacking in the way they treated each other. Have you noticed that it's easier to have right beliefs than to practice right attitudes toward people? Believing the right thing is just intellectual, you can learn it. But practicing treating people with love, that requires some emotional growth, that requires some physical and practical acts, much more difficult. It's also easier to help people than it is to love the people you're helping. You can actually be patronizing almost condescending when you offer help but it, but it requires love if it if our knowledge and our efforts are deemed pleasing to God even church growth church growth more nickels and noses and numbers church growth is not an appropriate goal unless it's motivated by a love for God and a love for people who don't know him personally. We could grow this church or any other church to satisfy our ego more than to satisfy our Lord and to meet very real needs in people in our community because we truly care about them. Today's passage provides us with a description of love. It's the title to today's message. Now, there's several different Greek words for love. Y'all know that, right? So what is the word, what is the Greek word that is used in 1 Corinthians 13? Agape, it is. And agape is actually rare in ancient Greek literature, which the New Testament is, but it's very common in the New Testament. Agape does not refer to nice feelings or warm affection about someone or something. It doesn't even refer to close friendship or brotherly love. What's the word for that? Philia. Yeah, of course we get the na- the word Philadelphia from that. It never refers to romantic or sexual love. What's that Greek word? And you may be surprised to learn that word does not appear in the New Testament. And here's why. Eros, sexual love, rom- romantic love, can be motivated... By self-love. And sexual love can be not only selfish, it can be exploitive at its core. Agape love is unnatural to human nature because it requires sacrifice of self for the sake of others. Even others who are indifferent to us, even others who may dislike us." This love, this biblical love, found in 1 Corinthians and the New Testament, is a determined act of the will. It's not driven by feeling and certainly not by passion. It's driven by a faith decision to engage in intentional acts of self-giving. So we're only going to look at verses four and five this week, six and seven next week. So I'll just pull out a couple of characteristics, four characteristics from those two verses. First, love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, four, remains self-centered. You can turn there, but we're not Going to, we like I said, we're only going to deal with phrases found in two verses. And it begins the first sentence: love is patient and kind. Now, patience and kindness are not primarily attitudes or feelings. In fact, none of these descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13 are adjectives. They're all practices. They are describing something you do. Patience, you don't need to know the Greek word, but patience, literally translated, means long-tempered. And it's used almost exclusively of being patient with people rather than circumstances or events. Love's patience, you see, is the ability to be inconvenienced, even taken advantage of by someone, repeatedly, and yet not become upset or angry. Now see, all of you thought you were very loving until I got started. (laughs) You see, if we love someone truly, they don't have the ability to make us upset and angry. You know, Leanne and I were um, eating dinner last evening with Aubrey, and it seems like every time I go there, she's got another child. (laughs) But she has three now, and so two boys and a little girl. And um, throughout that meal, I had at at least one of those boys in my lap almost the whole time. It doesn't make it real easy to eat with a child in your lap. Did you know that? And um, especially one of them who was six years old and they both have very long legs. But you know what? I loved the presence of that little boy in my lap more than I longed for the taste of that food. And so, did I get to eat adequately? Not really, but I enjoyed having that little boy that wanted to be near me during that time. And and that's what love is like. That's godly love. Now, in New Testament time, patience was a virtue only among Christians because in the Greek world, self-sacrificing love and non-avenging patience, well, they weren't respected. They were considered expressions of weakness. And these Greeks, they believed that heroes strike back always. And so vengeance was valued in New Testament culture. It in ours. But God's love doesn't retaliate. Look at Ephesians 4.2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Now, see, we don't mind that be patient with each other, but we have in parentheses, as long as the other always behaves appropriately toward me. But it's not in there, surprisingly. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults, ugly attitudes, mistreatment of ourselves, fill in the blank, because of your love. You see, it requires great faith to not take revenge because you have to trust that God will be fair in all things. Hebrews 10.30. Now, kindness, we talked about patience. Kindness is the counterpart to patience. Patience, as I just explained, accepts mistreatment without getting angry. Kindness expresses compassion even when mistreated. To be kind means to serve, to be useful. In other words, it is actively doing good. So if we say that we're patient, then my question for each of us, including myself, is with whom? Patience is not just Part of your personality, patience is expressed towards someone. And it's best, it's best uh, expressed towards someone particularly irritating. What about kindness? Are you kind? Well, if you say, yes, I'm very kind, then I have to ask, well, then what are you doing that's kind? Because it has to be practical. The word kindness refers always and only to doing something. So if you consider yourself kind, but you really don't make any efforts, what's the conclusion? Love also refuses comparisons. We continue in verse 4. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. The Corinthian Christians, well, they were really spiritual show-offs. Now, they had a lot of spiritual gifts, but they were always using them to compete with each other for people's attention and for admiration. And so they were clamoring for the most prominent positions and the most impressive gifts. But love and jealousy are mutually exclusive. Let that sink in. You can't envy someone you truly love. Jealousy or envy, and I'm using these terms synonymously, they're they're both translations of the Greek core word. Jealousy means wanting what someone else has, their possessions, their popularity, praise they're given, maybe even their appearance. And jealousy in an even worse form includes wishing the other person didn't have it. So it's one thing to say, I want what that person has, but it's totally a different thing to say, and I wish they did not have it. And you know, as believers, we have to recognize and resist jealousy within ourselves. Because unless you've noticed, there will always be someone who's a little better who has a little more, who may look a little better. It's amazing what time does to us, you know? By some measures, I used to be considered good looking. What happened? (laughs) But there's always someone that exceeds us. And so if we're constantly in that competition, we're not loving toward them, if we want what another has and we wish they did not have it. Furthermore, if we truly believe that God created each of us and that God apportioned our gifts, he fashioned our appearance, then if we are jealous of what someone else has, then we're undervaluing And taken to the extreme, we may even be despising the way and the purpose for which God formed us. You know what? You need to figure out God's purpose for you. Because you have all the gifts, all the attributes, all the appearance necessary to fulfill your particular assignment. And if you're filled with jealousy, it means that you're longing or lusting for somebody else's assignment but that's not the one you were called to. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who made you superior to others? Didn't God give you everything you have? Well, then how can you boast as if you, it were not a gift? When we love someone, see, we don't, we don't feel envious of them. Think about it. If you have children, are you, do you feel sad if they exceed you? If they win more awards, if they make more money, if they're more highly educated, does, does that bother you? They build more houses, Does it? Or, or because we love them, do we feel a sense of joy, a sense of happiness so that you genuinely experience the positive emotion of someone you love exceeding you? That's how love behaves. Love's not jealous. So if you have a child, a friend, someone you love that's exceeds you in success or beauty or talent, you won't be envious. You will be thankful. When's the last time you thanked God for the gifts of someone else? When the last, when's the last time you said, God, thank you for making this man so smart, this woman so gracious, so talented. That's what love does. We're glad others are being blessed by God. Boasting or bragging is the other side of jealousy. Jealousy is wanting what someone else has. Bragging or boasting is trying to make other people jealous of what you have. Now you listen to this. Because you, you, can, you can reject it. As, well of course you can reject everything I teach you. I always tell you that. Think it through. But pray it through. I think the core issue of all bragging and boasting. Is insecurity. That person doesn't believe. What they're trying to get you. To think about them. Otherwise, why waste the t- effort when someone, if you have someone or if yourself, it's embarrassing if you discover it's yourself, but if, if, if I have the need for you to notice something I've accomplished, I don't really understand the value of it myself if I need someone on the outside to affirm that. And boasting is perhaps the clearest expression of pride. Pride, interestingly, the word pride in Greek refers to to blow up, (laughs) to inflate, to puff up. And in English, we would use the words uh, become arrogant or haughty or conceited. But again, boasting and pride are expressions of insecurity. When a loving person is successful, that person won't boast of it. One, they know, they recognize that God gave them the gift and the opportunity, so they express appreciation. But also, a loving person doesn't want to create a feeling in other people they care about of inferiority. There's something lacking if you want people around you to feel inferior. If you're trying to inflate yourself. Loving people are humbled by success. Have you ever noticed that? Truly successful people that you you wouldn't know anything about their success because they're humbled, they hold it lightly. They see it as a blessing and a gift. So they don't, they, they, they don't air it out or expose it to everybody trying to gain adoration. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being pleased about an accomplishment, especially one that you achieve by diligent effort. Nothing wrong with that. God gave you a gift and you've developed it. There's nothing wrong with, with feeling pleased about that. But there is something wrong. It becomes wrong when we want other people to see that we or I am better than them. If you have a need to be better than someone, you need to find out why. You need to find from the Lord what is missing within. Because that's not loving behavior. If we love people, we will never diminish them. Think about that. You know people who, when you're around, you feel better about yourself when they leave. Or are there people, when they're around, you feel worse about yourself? Loving people will never diminish others. Because they truly value and dignify every person. Understanding That every person is made uniquely in God's image. Boy, we lost Jerry Fry recently. And I want to thank you. So many of you called me, sent me notes, texted me, cards. Because you know that Jerry and I go back now almost 30 years. We did. And um, he was a dear friend. Like a, a friend and a father almost to me. But if you knew Jerry Fry, he did that so well. I mean, Jerry was a great athlete in his college days. You probably didn't even know that unless somebody like me told you. I don't know if he had any money or didn't have any. He never, there, was, there was never an issue. But if you were around him, you felt noticed by him. You felt encouraged by him. In fact, those of you that when he was in the days he was ushering before he, he, you know, lost his some of his physical dexterity. He would make you feel like you were the most important person that had entered the building that morning and he would get you the best seat in the house. Now I'm not sure why you needed one because usually you were looking at me. But anyway, he would be sure you got the very and he would tell you. Anybody have that experience with him? Do you remember that? I'm going to get you a seat. I'll get you one right up front here. Comparisons and competition damage relationships. You can't be close to someone whom you want to exceed. Love always builds people up. Doesn't seek to better them. You know, I think, I think what's missing in some of us is knowing. And, and when I say knowing, in a biblo- on a biblical basis, knowing means experiencing. Truly experiencing the love that Jesus has for you secures contentment within you. And it just makes you settled. So it, you don't have this, this unsettled soul that, that needs to flaunt knowledge or abilities or achievements or always saying you were overlooked, you were mistreated. You were Because you know what? You weren't overlooked by Christ. You're never mistreated by Him. He, made, he handmade you. Our identity, our identity, our value, and our security must be found in Jesus Christ. And you know what? When we find it, our behavior will change. Our behavior will change. So here's a question, here's the application. Are you jealous? Are you boastful? I'm not I'm not trying to humiliate you, but I'm just exposing. If so, Talk to the Lord about it. Say, what's missing in me that I'm so unsettled that I need the affirmation of others when I've already received the affirmation from you? Or am I proud, which is just really almost a pitiful attempt to get others to notice you? If if you or if I am any of these things, it means we don't know who we are in Jesus Christ. Love resists selfishness. Verse 5. Love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. See, rudeness results from really not respecting or valuing other people enough to treat them politely or thoughtfully. And a rude person's lack of love And you say, well, it's just lack of manners. No, but the lack of manners are motivated by a lack of love or regard for other people. And that lack of love is expressed with thoughtless words, with overbearing actions, with critical, sometimes even crude comments toward people. Because to to this unloving person, who matters? Who matters? Only self. And you say, well, I don't think I'm like that. How can I know? How do you treat wait staff? How do you treat people who are, are in a service position or almost a servile position towards you? Do you diminish them? What if they make a mistake? How do you act toward them? It's a great measure. These Corinthian Christians were, were rude and unloving when they, even when they celebrated the Lord's Supper because it was supposed to be a, a fellowship meal. They actually eat and, ate a meal. They, don't, they didn't have these little wafers or you know, even like we, we're blessed to have little squares of bread at least, but this was a true meal. But people brought what they had to gather together for a fellowship meal. But what some of them would do is, is they knew there were some poor people in the church who didn't really have anything to bring. So the wealthier folks, or the folks with a farm or whatever, they would hoard what they had, eat it all up themselves, eat quickly and give nothing to the poor. So they, they actually would embarrass the poor and they were excluding them. They were shaming them in, in one word, During worship services, I already told you, these people tried to outdo each other. And so they would display their ability to speak in tongues and everybody would talk at once because they were all trying to elbow in and get their word out there. I need my word to be heard. I need to be seen. People need to listen to me. And they were creating this chaos. And the thing about it that Paul rebuked the most was you don't care about the unbelievers that are in the building. They don't understand what you folks are doing. But you care more about yourself than you do building up the people that don't know Christ or the people that are brand new. You can read 1 Corinthians 14, and when you do, which tells us all about spiritual gifts, but if you understand the context and the setting, you'll understand what Paul is saying to these people. He's not saying that spiritual gifts are awful, but he's saying the way they handled them was awful. These people use their gifts to to gain attention, to build themselves up, to prove that they were spiritual, instead of using them to build up the church, to invite in those that didn't know Christ, that were brand new to the fellowship. You know, Christians can easily lose their chance to communicate the love of Christ if they offend people by rude behavior. We've all seen this happen. Hopefully we haven't been involved in it, but we say something critical or harsh and then we find out that one of the people in the group doesn't know Christ, doesn't go to church and then we try to become religious and say, oh, why don't you come to church with me? Well, there's no way they're coming to church with you because if you got that, wherever you're going, they don't want to go there. They may not even want to know your Savior. You know, my, one of my daughters was a, a waitress in a local restaurant. And many of you have been waitstaff, and some of you are waitstaff now. But I've heard repeatedly that, and unfortunately, that waitstaff hate to see big church groups coming because they tend to be demanding and stingy. Folks, your tipping matters. You know, I used to think, I'll confess, I used to think 15% was right until my daughter became a waitress, waitstaff. And she said, no. In the evening, if the meal is more expensive, 15 might be all right or 18. But when you're at breakfast, you're at lunch, 20. And I'll say to you what she said to me. If you can't afford to tip adequately, you can't afford to eat out. (laughs) Come up here and finish the sermon. (laughs) But let's think about it because we are Christ in that setting. Do you think a Christ is stingy? Would an unbeliever want a part of a savior who would indulge us being harsh, really, unfeeling, uncaring. And usually we're talking about five bucks or less difference, maybe 10, it matters, doesn't it? And it shows love. Demanding our own way makes my preferences and desires more more important than yours. And I push everybody else out of the way, including God. And, you know, this, this, this demanding my way is a need to control. And if you are controlling or you know someone who's controlling or live with someone who's controlling, I want you to understand that the need to control comes from fear. Fear. It may look like domination, it may look like anger, it may be demonstrated that way, but the root cause is fear. It's a deep insecurity, and if you say, well you know I'm like that sometimes, it's time to spend some time with the Lord to say, what is in me? What's broken? What wound am I acting out of? What's lacking? that I'm trying to overcome by controlling people and situations. And if we're unloving, see, when we don't get what we want, we become irritable, maybe angry. Some of you quite surprisingly angry in expressing dissatisfaction. But love always, just put simply, love puts others' people first. And if you put other people ahead of yourself it prevents dissatisfaction it it precludes irritability philippians 2 look at this don't be selfish don't try to impress others be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves don't look out only for your own interest take an interest in others too so here's a question are you rude demanding are easily irritated. If so, you need to find out what's at the heart of that because none of those behaviors are loving. Love also rejects resentment. The end of verse 5. And it keeps no record of being wronged. The Greek word behind um, keeping record is an accounting term. And it's um, a bookkeeping term referring to making an entry in a, a ledger. And, you know, a lot of us used to use ledgers. Now you do it all online, of course. But the purpose of an entry is to make a permanent record that can be consulted in the future. But keeping track of offenses that have been carried out against you is sure to cause unhappiness within you, misery on those people on whom you're keeping the records, and you're going to unsettle everyone around you who has to hear you recite those wrongs. Because when we have a ledger, we tend to keep rereading it, at least rethinking it, but often repeating it for others to hear. So we we spread misery and unsettledness everywhere, don't we? But if you think about it, in God's record, if you're born again, your name appears. But do you know what's beside it? Forgiven, or some word like it, like that. Righteous. There's no list of your sins, because those sins were eradicated in the death of Christ. And so his righteousness, his rightness with God is counted. It's an accounting uh, reference as well. Or reckoned to our credit. So God keeps and needs no other record. But when we keep records of our wrongs, It produces resentment. And you know what? Some of you, as I'm speaking, some of you are feeling negative emotion. And here's the problem. When you experience something, it stays in your memory intact. And it will, every time something similar occurs, you'll feel the same pain, the same sorrow, the same rejection, and it won't lessen. You think, oh, it'll be, it's over, forget about it. Nope, it stays. And so that resentment, as you return it, it turns to bitterness. You know, some of you young folks don't remember this, but, but some old folks like Roland, <laughs> they, they used to, you used to make coffee in what was called a percolator. And so you would set the coffee pot on an eye. If you don't know what an eye is, that's the hot thing on a stove. And it would sit there maybe for hours. And so you would taste it that morning, oh, pretty good. You taste it after lunch, like tar, thick, bitter, black. Well, you know what happens? If you hold people's wrongs within your heart and mind and you rehearse them, it's just going to get harsher, sharper, more bitter, more awful, and you will lead yourself right into depression. Love forgives. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Nothing is ever recorded for later reference. And so if God can completely and permanently erase our records of sins, and you know, because a lot of the sins we commit against God, we don't even recognize. We certainly don't weigh them as, as awful. But if he can wipe them all away, how much more should we be able to forgive and refuse to rehearse the lesser wrongs that were committed against us. Look at Colossians 3. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. And don't raise your hands, but how many of you are keeping records? How many of you are rehearsing what happened to you? how many of you are reliving painful experiences and you wonder why you struggle with depression and you say but it was cruel it was painful it was done deliberately i cannot forgive this no you won't forgive it now you if you refuse to forgive it's because you think that that lack of forgiveness is doing something for you. you. You think that you're actually punishing the person. So you're not gonna release them because you're, you're holding them accountable. But that person is likely unaware how you feel. And if they're aware, they're unconcerned. If you wanna deal with this, you're gonna have to take it to God. And you're going to have to say, God, show me what I believe about this situation. And then you ask God, and I mean literally do this, ask God what he wants you to know about what you remember, what you believe about this situation. And I'll promise you this, God will speak to you. And he will enable you to release this old wound because you, if I took a poll in here, you would admit it's not getting better. You forget it a while and it comes back just as painful as when it was received. But God's Spirit can expunge it out. You say, well, I have never heard of this. I need some help in this way. Well, it's really, there's a method called transformation prayer that just helps you hear from God. And you say, well, where? how can I get some of that? Well, The Be Encouraged House, you can go there three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, call there. Or you can call our care ministry, and they can help you find someone that would meet with you and help you work through this stuff. Because here's the problem. It doesn't just go away. And if I interviewed every one of you, I think you would all affirm it doesn't just go away. I've been carrying this for decades, maybe much of your life. A lot of these wounds are, are inflicted when we're not even 12 years old. And they stay with us. But here's the thing, folks. If we want to change this community, and this country, and this world, we're not doing it with protests. Now I've told you that we should speak what's truth in situations, whether it be schools or community. Yes but with love, motivated by love to truly reach. Because if you go in harshly, no one wants to hear what you have to say. They'll overlook any wisdom you have, and they won't want anything to do with the Savior you claim to represent. But Jesus said this at John 13, Your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. And this includes the way we love people who aren't even yet disciples. Because if we are loving toward others, people will say, I I want some of what they have. But if we are unloving and harsh and cruel, they don't want anything to do with us. And they have no interest in the Savior we claim to follow. But I believe if we love each other first, and love this community. Second, I believe the door will open for us to express good news in our midst. Do you want to do that? All right. Everybody have a step to take? Raise your hand if you see a step to take. All right. God bless you. We will have CARE volunteers here, and they'll pray with you. They'll talk with you about these very issues if you'd like. Father, I pray that we would see ourselves as you see us, and we would desire To exercise sacrificial love toward each other in the very way that you exercise sacrificial love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week, keep a record of your positive and negative judgments of others throughout the day. Reflect on what your judgments reveal and confess any known sins to God and ask him to fill your heart with love so that you can love others well. Here's your memory verse, it's John 13, verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In the next episode of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast, we'll continue the series, Love God, Love People, as Perry shares the message, Demonstration of Love. To prepare, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.